we are starting a new series today, and I would love it if you worked through this with us. If you read ahead each week, we're doing the book of Hebrews. There are 13 Sundays in the summer, and we have 13 chapters. Let's do it that way, shall we? So today will be chapter 1. There are uh, writers and theologians that have said if all they had was the book of Hebrews, they could find their faith in Christ and find a way to heaven. And I can see their point. Others would say that about the book of Romans, and I would cheat. I would say I need two. I'd like the book of John and Hebrews to get me there. Because again, Hebrews is going to shove you back to the Jesus stories in John and Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So, a little context needs to be laid out first. It's often called a letter, but it really doesn't show any signs of being a letter. A letter would have a to and a from and that sort of thing, and most of the epistles in scripture have that. Now, if you're new to church, epistle is a church word. You will not find it outside of church. I don't know why we keep using it, frankly. The, an epistle is not the wife of an apostle. It is... It is, it is Merely a letter written by a church leader in the first century, first two centuries, to a specific church, or there are a couple that are general epistles, letters to be circulated among the people. But it would contain, it's not, hi, how are you doing? The weather's great here. The letter is written to give them moral and theological instruction, and that's what makes it an epistle. And it really doesn't show any similarities with that. It is best, I believe, to be thought of as a sermon. A sermon written down, either this is the first time it was written down, or this is inspired by a sermon. There is absolutely a flow to the whole book. It does not break and run sideways down alleyways. It, is, it has laser focus. Nothing wrong with that. The earliest, um, and by the way, this, this sermon evidently was quite well known throughout the first centuries. The earliest manuscript we have of Hebrews has written on it a letter to the Hebrews. You may not know this, but most of the books of the Bible don't come with a title. We put a title on it. Sometimes by grabbing the first few words or by who it was written to. But this one actually, the oldest manuscripts we've ever found have a title. A letter to the Hebrews. So, this has got a focus. What's its target? Its target are Jewish Christians. This is all new. To us, this is not new. You drive by church buildings to get to this one. Except for Lauren, she just walks across there. She always likes to bring that up whenever I come in from Spring Hill. And she'll say, well, you know, my, my commute was just awful this morning. How about yours, Patrick? And it's, it's amazing she still has a job. But anyway, <clears throat> we drove by other churches and we came to here and we, are, we, find, um, we find some comfort. We sing some old songs. We can sing Blessed Assurance without books in front of us because it's ingrained in us. We have church in us. This was new to them. Everything was new to them. And it was rearranging their history. Because for over a thousand years, they had a way of looking at God, worshiping God, approaching God, thinking about God, and all of their other leaders. And now, somebody shuffled the deck. What are their pantheon of heroes going to be now? 
Because before, if you were a Jew and you would say, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, wow. And you, you've just thrown out every trump card in the deck right there. You might have an extra one held back and go, Moses. And people go, wow, anything coming from these folk, that rules over everything else. And now Jesus is in there. And as we saw with the transfiguration, the apostles thought they were doing Jesus a favor by elevating him up to Elijah and, Abraham and Moses' uh, status. And God says, no, you got to bring him up further. Think of how hard that would be. Think of how hard it would be to rearrange your entire culture when you've had one homogenous culture, and, and that's a bit of a fudge historically, frankly, but let's just go with that. One homogenous uh, culture for, for many centuries. And yes, we've taken some detours with Samaria and Babylon and the like, but we've kept, we've kept editing our books, we've kept our books together, we keep writing our books, we know what our story is, and now Christ has appeared. Where do we put him in this whole pantheon, this heavenly ranking of our heroes? And there's another question. How Jewish should Christianity be? I've, I've met with people um, that really embrace the Jewish side of Christianity, and it's there to be embraced. Uh, you, you really can't understand the New Testament without the Old Testament. You really need to have that. And there's a whole lot there. Uh, there are a, a great deal of Jewish understanding and practices in the church. However, I've met people that said we should not call Jesus Jesus. We have to call him Yeshua because that's his real name. And I'm thinking, well, he didn't pronounce it that way, but fair enough. I, don't, I keep that inside most of the time. I'm rather proud of myself for that. And to the point where I, I met with some folk out in Colorado that they, wouldn't, they, they were offended if you said amen. They thought you should say amen. And I'm going, really? I don't think God cares, frankly. He just would like to know when you're done. So, you know, uh, a Roger Wilco over and out wouldn't hurt. You know, just, um, you don't have to say amen to stop your prayer. This is, I, I was stepping on a humor button. You can't see it. Those in the balcony, they can't see it either. Although this book is near the end of our Bible, it was a very, very early book. It was well known to Christians throughout our history. People such as Clement of Rome, Polycarp, uh, Polycarp and Hermas all used this book. And they quoted from it in their writings. This is one of the most important bets of literature the early church had. When it comes to its authorship, though, we don't know. We just don't. Now, Clement of Alexandria was the first to say it was written by Paul, and he based that on the fact that Paul wrote a lot of stuff. So probably. No, it wasn't written by Paul. Paul if you do a word count, word usage, phrasing, and such, you find this is totally unlike Paul. Also, do you remember when I said it was laser-focused? Paul, not so much. Paul will start this way, run three chapters over this way, pop back over, hit you, let you know I'm coming back to it, and then run down another trail, and not use a comma in the entire thing. They didn't use commas. Just they, He didn't break his sentences. Some of them I keep going, you know, I could diagram this, but I'd pull a back muscle. 
I don't think I want to even try. Writer of Hebrews, succinct, sharp, very, very well uh, boiled down. There's no fluff in Hebrews. Most scholars say not Paul. Some will say, um, well, maybe Barnabas. Because Barnabas was a Levite, and Barnabas was important in the early church, and Barnabas would have known all of the Jewish Levitical language. And in Hebrews, there's a lot of priestly liturgy. There's a lot of Jewish songs. There's a lot of Jewish uh, formations or confessions of faith. So a Levite would be a pretty good guess. But others say Apollos, because Apollos was known for being an exceptionally good speaker. So perhaps Apollos did it. But there is a small and growing group, and I like them merely because I want it to be her, frankly. I don't have any other evidence to give you. But there's a small and growing group of scholars that believe Priscilla wrote it, and that that's why the name's not on it. It was because it was going to go places where a woman's name on the book would not have worked. So she pulled back from that. Why Priscilla? Well, she's the one that taught Apollos, for goodness sake. She was well-known in the early church for being brilliant, a scholar, and a teacher. But we don't know. All we know is we've got the book, and it is amazing. Oh, by the way, Priscilla also made her, her family living was uh, making tents, and all through Hebrews, tents are mentioned, the tabernacle in particular. So, could be. But regardless, what a book. Look at the opening. Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 through 3. In the past, this is very important, you understand this. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times, in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Look at that again. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful word. After He provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Do you see already the sorting of the pantheon? Who's in charge here? On the, on the transfiguration, God breaks in and says, This is my beloved Son. You listen to Him. And Hebrews is, is opening with that right out of it, a cannon shot saying, you used to be able to hear God in a variety of ways. Think of these ways. There were the stand-up preachers. You had the Isaiahs and you, you had the, the Jeremiahs. Um, you had uh, also people that had a much shorter um, ministry like Amos would come and we don't know much about him. He shows up and does his thing and goes away. What we have other, we have illustrations through life illustrations like Hosea and Gomer, one of the most powerful books in, uh, I, I'm just, I love that book and that story for what it means to us about the grace of God, Hosea and Gomer. And then, by the way, if you're, if you're new to church and you're trying to find the book called Hosea and Gomer, it's just Hosea. I don't know. It's Gomer's story too, but uh, it's, uh, Hosea's on there. Or if people are artistic, and I, I married an artist, I love artists, so don't but they don't always like to go at things the way some of us like to go at. They see things in a different way. So let's throw a Picasso in there. Ezekiel. Oh my goodness. 
Don't you come up to me later and say, that's my favorite book, because it isn't, and you're lying. <laughs> it, it, you read that, and you're going, okay, okay. Have a bottle of aspirin right there, you know, a bottle of something else if you'd rather, but at least the aspirin. It's just, it, it, it's difficult, but God says, I tried all of these ways. How do I speak to the people today? Well, there's the question, isn't it? Acts chapter 2. There the the mighty wind and the tongues of fire, which every Jew would have understood what that meant because they understood what it was when God entered the temple, when God entered the tabernacle. There was wind, there was fire, the seraphim, the cherubim. They knew what was going on. And then they saw these people stand up and speak into them in their own language. And there were, there's very nice balance in that chapter. You know, there are 12 apostles speaking and, and there are 12 people groups there with different uh, languages. That's a bigger deal uh, to them than it was to us because Palestinian people, people from Nazareth and that area, were supposed to have such a strong accent that you couldn't teach them other languages. That's why as soon as some of the apostles began to speak, people will start saying in scripture, we could tell you were ignorant and unlearned men. Well, how did you learn all this stuff? Their, their accent was something that nobody respected. And that's, um, that's unfortunate, but there it is. And so the people listen to that first sermon in Acts chapter 2. And what do they say? They say, what does this mean? It means Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. God used to come at you in a variety of ways. He used to come at you and give you many options. You could come through John the Baptist. You could come through the, the Pharisees. Or you could come through the Sadducees. You could come through the temple worship. You could come, but now there is one avenue. One, only one, Jesus. Listen to him. He is the one who speaks for God. And here we run into the real reason Christianity is, um, is hated in many areas. It's because it's exclusive. It says through Jesus and Jesus only. You have to go through Jesus. I told this story a few years ago. I'll tell it again. This actually happened about 15 years ago. I was teaching up at the Ohio State University, uh, one of my courses there. Somebody was, I guess, bored with that bit, and I looked at my, uh, my CV, as we would call it, or the resume, or whatever you'd like to call it in here. And he says, they said, notice that you're, you're, you're a neuroscience guy, but you, you're also a pastor? And I went, yes. And they said, how, uh, how do you reconcile being uh, a pastor with... Um, with being a scientist and I said I I cannot answer that question until the big hand goes to 12 and the little hand goes to three but once that happens I will stay here and answer any questions you've got as long as you've got them and that's the standard thing I do anyway well three o'clock nobody left I went uh oh and um <laughs> one person um I said ask me questions and I, this wasn't the first one out of the box but it was the one I remember most a person stood up and says, do you believe that somebody has to believe in Jesus to go to heaven? And I said, yes. I, I didn't even tell him. I thought it was probably a bit harder than that. But let's just, just stick with this one, shall we? And, and all through the crowd, they said, and I said, before anybody says anything, I want to start with the person ask the question, but I'm going to let everybody have their say. I'm going to write up on the whiteboard here. I say that to get to heaven, you have to go through Jesus. You say, that makes me, and one said, a bigot. 
You know, another said stupid, one ignorant. I wrote them all down. There are other words they said I will not say here, but because of my long lineage in a military family, I know how to spell. So I wrote them. I put them all up. And when they'd run out of words, I, I said, no, everybody, they'd run out. I said, I believe you have to go through Jesus to get to God. You say that makes me. And I turned around and read every word. And I turned around back to them. I said, and you're right, unless I'm right. And if I'm right, none of this applies. And you can throw all the words you want to at it, but it doesn't change reality. And so we start talking about reality and going from there on. There is Jesus. He is the way. He said it, by the way. The way, the truth, and the life. Many want to make him a great moral teacher or a political firebrand or a wannabe national leader who ran into an unexpected wall. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You either believe him or you don't. And here's the thing. If this is true, fighting this fact will only break us. It will only shatter our lives and our souls. There are realities in this universe that we do have to face. And if we refuse to face them, they will not go away. For they are realities. Instead, the reality will take us down. And here's reality. You want a relationship with God? You've got to walk with Jesus. Because there are no other options. There's also good news here. Jesus is what God looks like, sounds like, and acts like. I'm going to ask you to consider doing a study that may take you a couple of months, and it may take you a year, but it will be, it'll be life-changing if you do this. And you don't need to buy any books. You can, you, you've already got them. Go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in any order you want, and every time there's a story of, of Jesus saying something or doing something, put God's name there instead. Or write the Father and read it that way and see what happens. It changes everything about your view of the Father. Because we have distanced the Father as being angrier than Jesus and harsher than Jesus and more of a judge than Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews opens it up by saying, no, he isn't. God and Jesus are exact, the exact representation. It'll change your life. Do that. One of the big questions the Jewish people had to answer was, where does Jesus rank? So the writer that wastes no time. Let's go to Hebrews 1, 4 through 9. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels, I'm going to stop right there. The word angel is a much bigger word than you might think. When we say angel, almost all of us think of uh, beings like Michael and Gabriel and the like, but the word literally means messengers. Remember Galatians 1. If you don't, go check that out later. 
though we or an angel say this, any other angel say this to you, and then it repeats and says, any other angel from heaven. There are angels in heaven, but there are the, the speakers, the teachers are also messengers. This, in other words, includes, and they know this, includes Moses and the prophets. God brings the firstborn into the world. He says, let all God's angels worship him. And speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. Now, Acts 2. But, but about the son, he says, your throne, O God. Wait a minute. God calls Jesus God. Did you ever notice that before? About the son, he says, your throne, O God will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, yeah, he's God too, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Did you catch that? Wow. Look at 8 and 9 again. Your throne, O God. Therefore, God, your God. I, I do not believe they ever had this intention, but growing up, listening to the sermons and lessons, I got this, this hierarchy view of, of the Godhead. We had uh, the Trinity. We had the Father, and then under him was Jesus, and then under him somewhere was the Holy Spirit. No. They are one. And they call each other God. It's amazing, really. We need to talk about who these angels are and these companions, some verses call it. It's hard to be certain who all of this, these beings are he's talking about in Hebrews 1. But we do know that God has a host, a large amount of folk. A host doesn't mean somebody you know, being in charge of the party here. It means a big crowd, a large number of beings. We know that in the book of Revelation. It shows it repeatedly. We know it in the book of Job, God is holding counsel with his host, with all of them talking when Satan walks in. We know there is a, they're, they're up there. We don't know all the ins and outs of it. It's not up for us to know that. But we know that Jesus has walked in community with them and now walked in community with us. But he is superior to both them and us. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. I always read that verse and go, Okay, that's a high bar, is it not? Let's, let's read quickly then so we can forget that and put it in our past. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. That verse is brutally hard to translate. It really does. It means basically this. When God needed to leave heaven to reach us, Jesus did not grip on the throne and scream, you're not getting me out of here. He let loose of it. He let loose of his reputation as well. All the angels praising him, the seraphim and cherubim praising him, let it all go. Became a baby. There's nothing with less control in the universe than a baby. It just, it can't control anything. He gave it all up. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nurture of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself uh, even further 
by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You, if Paul had the expression in that day and age, he would have said, for goodness sake. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I love Philippians 2. I absolutely adore Philippians 2. Yes, he left. Yes, he became a human. Yes, he even humbled himself below this. Washing the apostles' feet, touching lepers, reaching out to the Samaritan woman, to a woman caught in adultery. He, he loved everywhere, to taxpayers, the tax collectors, even, even the ones on the other end, he loved them too. Centurions, he loved them too. That was an interesting conversation I had with my three-year-old grandson yesterday as we were driving. I don't know where he's picked up the concept of robbers, but he said, robbers are bad, aren't they? I went, yes. I wasn't sure whether he would, was just running through future employment opportunities or, or what. You, you don't know with Ollie. Uh, he's going to make the papers. We just don't know what page. So he said, do robbers shoot you? And I said, that, that has happened. And he goes, God doesn't like robbers, does he? Got a three-year-old. I said, you know, here's the strange thing. I actually started that way. I said, this is really strange. But God loves robbers too. He just doesn't want them to rob. No, they're bad. Yes, they are. So God doesn't like them. We, this was our chalk on the way home. I wasn't expecting this. I was wanting him to th do things like, look, a cow. But no, <laughs> I can deal with cattle. Um, we, um, he loves us. Wow. The songs in Hebrew continues, in Hebrews continue. Psalm, uh, I'm sorry, Hebrew 1, verses 10 through 13. He also says, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth. God is speaking to Jesus here. It's reminiscent of John chapter 1. You made all things. God is speaking to Jesus. In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth. The heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Uh, in, the, in the original language, that has some really amazing pictures, doesn't it, Brother Lemons? That is just amazing. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you remain the same. Your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? They need to know who Jesus is. We need to know who Jesus was. And this gives echoes back of Genesis chapter 1. We'll do this very quickly. Genesis 1, uh, let us, and then God said, let us make mankind, let us, mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. And then John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. For in him, all things were created. Colossians 1. 
Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and as a, as a person who likes to play in physics, I love this line, in him all things hold together. Wow. So he served faithfully. And as we already saw, we'll, we'll skip putting this one up. Hebrews 1.13 God never said to anyone, not, not to Abraham, not to Moses, not to Isaac, not to Jacob, not to Ezekiel, not to Ezra. He didn't say to any of them, you get to sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. No. That's to Jesus. Every knee will bow to Jesus. Mark, would you bring your people up? And I know that this makes me disappear at my height for... Yeah, we'll do that. Um, let me make sure I'm do, doing it right. Well, you're, Dean Barham is who you're talking about. Has been taken to emergency room. Kidney stone. Kidney stone. So, Dutch teacher. sorry. Dutch is teaching, Dutch is teaching upstairs. Uh, Dean's class is much more popular than mine. I'm not better. <laughs> it's upstairs, and and I'm glad it is. Um, but those of you who would like to 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 still study in the ruins of Rome, you can do that here. Uh, but let's pray for Dean, and then I'm going to ask us all to stand up and, and read scripture together. We'll stand to pray too. Our Father in heaven, we love Dean, and we know you do. I, I've never had a kidney stone, but the people that tell me that they've had them say it's the worst pain out there. I pray that you would ameliorate that pain. You would mitigate the pain. You would dial it back that the right doctors would come in at the right time, but that the great physician himself would also intervene and bring him quick and lasting relief and bring him back to us quickly, for he is dearly loved here. And we know he has much more to give to this loving group at Fourth Avenue. Heal him, we pray, is our will. And we say this in the name of Jesus. And the whole church says, amen. Let's read the first four verses of Hebrews together. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word, after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Amen, church.